So Rails authentication is kind of a big pain point already because it's not baked in into the framework. But you use the, all the nice little gems and then it works out fine. But then there's also authentication for APIs. And then there's the next step, kind of. And that's what we want to talk here about today in the Curious Coders Chronicles. I still need to learn the name myself, I guess. Um, and I'm Rich and I'm having someone new today on the podcast who is um, a friend from Barcelona, where I live in actually. And his name is, uh, first I thought actually you are Borja, like in Russian, uh, you know, in Russia we have um, Borja, who is Boris, right. but it's actually Borja. That's correct. Yeah. And yeah, uh, welcome and to the show for the first time. Uh, we hope to have you uh, here a lot actually in future. And uh, actually it's also the first Barcelona um, Ruby and Rails meetup group reactivation. So this group was here like um, a year ago um, and now we are kind of starting it out again. And yeah, uh, we are doing this things here, thing here. So yeah, feel free to tell us a little bit about yourself. We, uh, Bao and I, who are doing it usually, we introduced ourselves in the first episode back in November, I think. Oh, so it's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Rich. So yeah, pleasure. Thank you. Um, well, I've not not a lot to say about me, but basically regarding, I, I've been uh, in the developing Rails for quite some time already. For I started, I believe, two thousand fourteen, and I I just I remember. It started as a necessity for me to catch up with uh, modern web development. At the time, that was the thing, uh, yeah. Ruby on Rails. And that's what I did. I learned it and from there, uh, I, I just uh, f uh, fell in love. And, and it is, from then, I, I haven't switched. It's, it's great. I love it. So that's nice. what I do. And right now, my work, uh, I work for a company uh, call uh, Jukebox Health and, and uh, I, I do mostly uh, yeah, back in uh, Rails there so yeah, yeah. that's what I'm doing right. and and it's, it's interesting that you said that you don't have to tell a lot about yourself because I have a lot to tell <laughs> about you so you are, first of all you told me that you uh, started a boot camp back uh, or you got the Iron Hack bootcamp started yeah. together with iron like in miami so that's kind of <laughs> a thing so I, i'd be very curious about like um what does it mean mm -hmm. first of all and then what did you do before mm -hmm. um and what is yeah and maybe you can tell a little bit about your uh, i think you're about doing that. freelancing and stuff yeah, yeah, for sure. So three things. I know it's a lot no, no, to keep no, no, in mind. No. But. Actually, it's the, the right thing to do when, when you're <laughs> talking to me because I'm, I'm amazed when, when it comes to introduction or whatever. Yeah. But that, that's a good starting point. <laughs> so the 2014, I learned Rails with Ironhack. That's the bootcamp yeah. that I was part of as a student to learn Ruby and Rails. Uh, yeah. I, I was coming, uh, well, my background is in engineering. Mm -hmm. And I there mostly you learn uh, C, Java, but not any modern web development framework or language. So at the time I wanted to build um, a web web application, and and I just doing my research, I found Ironhack and just uh, um, stuck uh, like I went with them, right? Mm -hmm. And once I uh, finished the the bootcamp. I work for them and mm -hmm. so I studied with them and then I worked for them for a few months and there's when I went to Miami as part of, of a team to uh, bootstrap Ironhack in US oh. uh, because they they wanted to be there and basically my role there was 
trying to well, many kinds of stuff but just bringing the community together like uh, coordinating meetups as well and mm-hmm. trying to spark the iron hack there it was nice. yeah and doing a bunch of other things but so and that's what I did there and then from there well b- before there I was working as a voice a, a voice over IP engineer engineer oh. and and then um, so you are you are going from super technical to yeah you said engineering but not software so you didn't s- study software engineering no it was a uh, telecom engineering yeah okay yeah and then you went more the yeah you wanted to build an app maybe or something like that yeah. <laughs> or get into the space uh-huh. and yeah that's when I I was. I became, I guess, that's when I became a, a software developer because before that it was more of a, an engineer, voiceover, specialized on, on a voiceover IP. But um, yeah, I did that. Then uh, from there, uh, what did I do? I worked, well, that's, yeah, I know what I did after that. <laughs> I just uh, founded my, my own startup. Um, well, with a with a few co- uh, two two other co-founders, that lasted for four or five years. Okay. Uh, we developed in Rails, so it was a lot to to work on there. And then from there, I did freelancing basically, mm-hmm. and until today, that mm-hmm. I I work mainly with a company, the Jukebox Help. But uh, yeah, I, I did a bunch of freelancing as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then all your freelancing is also basically in Ruby and Rails? Uh, yes, yes, yes. That's oh. my... I didn't know that Ironhack was... I, I always thought they are a, a um, US company, actually. Ah, oh, you thought it was yeah. a US company? Oh, actually, it started all in Madrid. Spain. Oh, really? Yeah, that was the, I was the second cohort, like... Oh, wow. It was just there, like we were 14 of us uh, with the founders and it was very, very, and it was like the, one of the best experiences that I had. It was yeah. super immersive and you just, it's great. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah, the, I think in the US they have another bootcamp that's very US. Mm-hmm. Like, but I don't, don't remember the name. I know, know also Le Wagon is probably a French one. I have no idea. Yeah. Ah, which one is it? Le Bago. Yeah, 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 yeah. They are I, still doing Ruby Rails. I don't think really? Iron Hacks. No, no. They they went with JavaScript. Um, and then yeah, I don't know what they're doing now. But yeah. I think they now have also Python and yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, Great. Yeah. That's um. That's great to have you here as a yeah an addition to the curious code i mean you are also curious right about things i think i am yeah <laughs> awesome. that's a great fit um yeah to have a talk about uh, things and today yeah you mentioned or i mentioned in the beginning this whole thing about authentication and Authentication is actually a thing that where I, where some of my side projects uh, stopped. <laughs> like at some point, I, I built something, and then I started needing uh, making decisions about authentication, authorization, you know, like abilities, things like that. Mm-hmm. And this is where sometimes something new shiny came in, and. Uh, I jumped over and didn't go through with the whole thing. Um, this is why also, for example, I now I usually recommend people who want to start an app. I usually recommend them build your feature for your side project. Just build your first feature, the most right. important feature. Don't think about authentication, like anything, right? Styles. Uh, focus on making the feature work. Like what? Without that, your app doesn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. And then, then once you have it and it works and it's like, uh, it doesn't make sense yet because it's probably like you need users who use it, then you add the users on top. And for that, you use like... You mean authentication and device? And device, device yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, 
sometimes I would spend like when like three years ago I would spend a lot of time understanding what what should I use for for authentication. In the end, most of the time, it's maybe device. Um, there are also other gems. Yeah. But then, okay, let's say I have my app already built out a little bit and I added, um, actually this is the case for my uh, most recent app now. So I did the whole thing. I built the feature first, uh -huh. um, then I added authentication on top with, uh, basically it has even two types of authentication. So I first did it with a basic auth. Okay like super basic <laughs> for the admin because right. I'm the only admin nobody mm -hmm. cares I have my username password yeah and so there is like for you yeah you don't you didn't need anything more complicated than that exactly yep. and this is baked in into rails mm -hmm. very handy yeah um, you just drop in a line there uh, put your credentials somewhere in a credentials file or something and mm -hmm. then it's there right and then once I um, started building the user facing part I added um, uh, I added device and now, yeah, now it could be that um, I want to make my resources uh, available to the world, to, mm -hmm. like work with them uh, automatic, like uh, in an automated way, mm -hmm. not just user interface users. Right. And yeah, what that's actually what you also came with today, right? Right, that's exactly it. Basically, it all starts as you say, and that's I think it's a great way of introducing uh, not only Rails but product development in general to anyone. Right, like focus on the uh, the well, what they say the minimum viable product, right? And that's that's about it. Like just start from what you need, and then you add on top of it. And authentication is one of these things that uh, you have multiple choices at different stages of, of uh, the, the application lifetime, right? At the beginning, you just put very something very basic, basic health could work, <laughs> exactly. Then you realize you want users to come in and, and use your app. So you have this amazing gem already uh, ready for you, it's device. Uh, Although if you are brave, you can build it yourself, um, or you have a lot of time, and and mm -hmm. then uh, like you get some quests. Well, there's a point where you start to work with some other services, right? Like you start thinking, okay, I have another uh, workmate that or some colleague that is helping me out, or I have this other service that I use to dump data on, let's say. You're using Airtable for whatever, and you want to have that data uh, synchronized with your app, with, and then it becomes the 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 part where you have to connect both of them together, and that's where the API comes in, right? And you yeah. say, okay, I have to build an API. I have to just um, have that into my my app. Okay, so at that point, you have the API. Uh, but then you you can open it to everyone and have the API just uh, be serving whoever requests whatever you are exposing. But we all know that that's not a great idea. Sometimes yeah. you want you want to secure it, right? So for obvious reasons, uh, well, not obvious and not obvious. Sometimes you just want something public, and that's fine. Uh, but m m many times you just have sensitive data or that not you don't want anyone to to access it so at that point you think about authentication for the api and then here's where you have multiple uh, options and choices i think for me at least and i'm not an expert but it for me is where a little bit of uh, analysis paralysis that's what like when you have m many choices and and f how I work I always try to choose whatever works best what is the most optimal but I learned throughout the years that sometimes the best solution is what gets you up 
are running the fastest and then you'll iterate and find a better solution so mm -hmm. you you have multiple choices right you can start with something very similar to uh, a password basically is what device uses under the hood uh, user and password so you instead of a uh, um, user password uh, use a, what we call a token but at the end of the day it's very similar mm -hmm. it's something that you store in the database and usually you assign it to a user uh, and then whenever a request comes you just check uh, that against your database and you see yeah. okay do i authenticate this request or not that's super yeah. simple right yeah and you you mentioned in the beginning that maybe you shouldn't build it yourself unless you're brave or uh, a lot of time a lot of time exactly <laughs> Probably both, actually. <laughs> uh, I built it myself once. Um, so when I switched over to Ruby and Rails, I went, like so many people in this uh, universe, I went through the uh, Misha Michael Hartel's tutorial. Uh -huh. It's like a very popular um, book. Okay. And I think there's also videos. And he built it from like authentication from scratch. From scratch. Mm -hmm. That's a great idea. Yeah. So, yeah, it's cool to, to have it in your kind of portfolio to just have built it once. But I, I don't think I would kind of, yeah, do it myself now for any of my apps unless I want to practice it. But then also with the uh, token, it seems, it seems like a simple thing to, yeah, just have a token column on your, on your users user table or account table or, or whatever yeah uh, i and mean then, but then you also need to manage this right you need to mm -hmm. probably generate it you need to refresh it uh, exactly that's where you is that's exactly the point like whenever so that can work for basic scenarios and simple scenarios but when you start seeing that in the near future or foreseen future you want to start integrating with some other parties or some other like partners or just be more flexible that it doesn't scale that well and it's a little bit risky for instance as you said like revoking basically implies deleting uh, a database record right or revoking a token that's not something that you you probably wish um, also it's, uh, the, the token is hardwired to to a user uh, because if you're creating a, and you will have to create many tokens for different users it becomes a little bit of, of a mess if you want to be flexible I suppose because if you want to very basic it works but otherwise it's difficult especially nowadays that a lot of the products sit on uh, just uh, use single page application <coughs> excuse me single page applications mobile apps like you should be um, especially careful about what you expose and what not and what system to use because otherwise like cannot be the, the best security mm. uh, implementation so that's in my experience um uh, and very as a recent project that I worked on, uh, we used and this where I introduced the OAuth too, just because all the flexibility that it gives you, mm -hmm. uh, it's great. And since we don't know exactly yet what's gonna happen in terms of what our partners are gonna ask for, uh, other apps that we're gonna build. Hard, they're gonna be built mobile and mobile like it's just so many stuff that can happen that all two gives you all this flexibility yeah. and, and that's why yeah what I've implemented lately yeah that's cool yeah and for mobile yeah it doesn't really work with the with the API token or yeah just a token yeah I like a string right that you uh, identify and just authenticate against like it wouldn't work uh, yeah because basically anyone can can see it right yeah they intercept that okay yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, mobile is like you have to 
or reverse okay. sorry reverse engineer the app that's like you don't want it baked in like into the app and then download and then anyone can see what is in the app yeah and then basically have sex has access to your entire api yeah so mobile i have to imagine mobile is the same as a front-end application basically like um right react app there you can do this as well right right exactly very similar very similar and that's there's where it becomes tricky right and auth 2 gives you tools to and everything it's a trade-off, right? Like uh, not nothing is like hundred percent secure, I yeah. suppose, but uh, but at least you can prevent most of of the uh, attack uh, surface surface yeah. vectors. Or, yeah, yeah, it's a very mm-hmm. stable <laughs> protocol, right? It's yep. There for many years, and it's used uh, all over, and mm-hmm. it's kind of it's very much supported if you have anything well documented and has the same structure anyone who implements it right so people know what they're talking about once they have exactly. done once mm-hmm. maybe before we go deeper into it you, you said something in the beginning that I ran into while building my last product which is um, you can start with basic you can start basic with basic off <laughs> i guess it's like uh, also a nice title for for another episode <laughs> but uh, what i ran into so i built my fe- fe- uh, feature without a lot of forethought so basically i um you know scaffolded my the, the models that i thought would be great and um i didn't think about admins and stuff like that and I ended up having the admin uh, thing with the basic auth in the root namespace so to say Uh so basically um, let's imagine like uh, what could be a good example Uh, I don't know bananas the bananas model Uh and the bananas model was just the bananas model and uh, so then the URL is, for example, something like um, your app.com bananas, right? Mm-hmm. And well, this worked well <laughs> until I started to build the, the user facing feature. And the user facing fe- feature uh-huh. was then in the user namespace. Okay. So basically, like user, users bananas, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then your model is namespaced, like user uh, um, or controller is namespaced, right? Uh-huh. Users, colon, colon, yep. con- uh, bananas, bananas controller. Uh-huh. And the thing is, then what I ran into, sometimes I would mess up the um, URL or pass helpers and they would go against the the main root name space so yeah exactly i would use just the bananas uh helper uh-huh right like bananas uh edit edit bananas path uh-huh but i should have used user bananas path that's a good question actually uh, because okay go go ahead yeah keep, and then keep going. what i needed to do then as a next step i needed actually to um get the namespace for the admin, like so that it's admin bananas mm-hmm. and user bananas. Uh-huh. Because then you don't run into this anymore. You have like clear namespacing everywhere mm-hmm. and it's impossible that um, you get from here to the admin namespace. This is basically uh-huh. one uh, thing that I had there. Uh-huh. That's a good, yeah, good reflection. Yeah, I mean, this was something that I thought uh, about it some time ago, and it's at the end of the day, what you need in your, you have resources, right, that you work with, and bananas are the same or should be the same over uh, for an for different users. They're just bananas, but you have your bananas, I have my bananas, and I just. Uh, 
the app doesn't want that I take your bananas and that you take my bananas yeah. basically <laughs> right that's what you're trying to avoid so but at the end of the day uh, every banana is going to be different because you look at it and it's different so uh, what matters uh, in my perspective and this is something uh, that that uh, as I mentioned like I was thinking about is does it matter the name spacing uh, to access resources and the truth is that well, I might be wrong, but at the end of the day, they are URLs, and that's um, is unified. What is the the acronym for for basically a URL resource? Uh, yeah, it's a uniform resource locator, right? Or In, identifier. Or identifier. URI. URI, yeah, but at the end of it, all, almost like, I don't know how many, but 99.9 URLs. <laughs> yes. Uh, so it has to be unique, and that's what matters. So if you have bananas, and every then you identify every banana with a different ID, I guess it would be uh, okay to have just that and not have it namespaced. Because at the end of the day, all of them are gonna be uh, separate when you access them via uh, parameters, query parameters, um, or just in the path. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a, then it's a matter of uh, authorizing, right? How do you authorize and who do you authorize? Like what? Mm. Uh, that's what you have to deal with internally to avoid someone taking the bananas that are not theirs. And, mm. and so, yeah, something to this. I think I feel just that there's always discussion, or at least I had, I have had that discussion internally. Like, what do I do? I put like I namespace everything. Or I just create a an input that's all bananas and yeah. anyone, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Hmm. Yeah, it's. Um, I don't think it was utterly insecure. It's just that it seems like as a developer, you can sometimes, you know, while you are being productive and typing away uh, and like your editor suggests you, yeah, use the bananas URL, it will be fine. And then you say, yeah, it sounds good. It sounds good. It's like the, the user will get the bananas URL and then, but then all. As a developer, I guess you could make this mistake and have it there. And the only issue is that the user would be redirected to a space where they don't can they cannot do anything because then, especially with the basic auth, it right. just says yeah you need a password yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah for sure yeah but that's more of a I guess a routing problem yeah. right yeah to solve it's not yeah. a resource like access con access control problem is more of uh, yeah. a routing problem that you like how do you organize your route so that that doesn't happen yeah i suppose exactly yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. and then yeah creating the admin space helped me to never make this mistake because then ruby mine or my editor only suggests me i start typing bananas and it either suggests me the um admin bananas URL or users uh, uh, bananas and then I cannot like be you know you don't go to the wrong one it's yeah right. exactly mm -hmm. that, makes that, sense that's what I noticed okay and yeah so you wanted to talk a little bit more about OAuth 2 I think today right mm -hmm. and is it something that you wanted to do in a uh, practical way or did you still want to share with us uh, um, something more now um, before we close <laughs> <laughs> no well I suppose um, that there's no I mean there's technical implementation of it but um, I guess I can mention very quickly the, the different parts I used for my implementation so that we don't get too much into the detail otherwise everyone's gonna get lost but um, Doorkeeper, uh, that's the gem that I use as for the uh, authorization provider. It's yeah. uh, it's great. Uh, I I didn't know it before, and 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 it works great. It gives you a ton of things. Uh, I mean, basically anything that you want to do auth to related. Um, 
And um, yeah, uh, well, one thing to note is that since our app in the scenario that I worked on and the project that I, I'm working on, we don't have, so it's, it's, this is the thing, like Auth2 gives you a specification of a flow that works, but it doesn't tell you the scenarios. I mean, it gives you recommendations on what a authorization flow to implement and mm -hmm. what not for different types of applications. But the details of how do you use them, it's just uh, up to you, right? Mm -hmm. So in our case, we have um, we have an app that is used by our users. Our users are mostly internal. And uh, this, this app, um, we don't know exactly how, as I was mentioning at the beginning, how we're going to integrate with other parties. Mm -hmm. So uh, we probably won't fit into the standard of two flow in uh, meaning we're, we're not going to be the Twitter that someone, some other client wants to interact with on behalf of, a, of, another, of another user. Mm -hmm. uh, mostly we're going to have apps that want to consume our API, but um, they, they might not want to do it on behalf of a, of a user. In that mm -hmm. case, uh, that's where client credentials flow becomes handy. Mm -hmm. uh, just because uh, it's meant to for secure apps, meaning uh, they're not going to expose uh, credentials. Uh, they, mm -hmm. Well, machine to, they're going to act as a machine-to-machine -machine endpoint uh, or service. And, and then um, we have other, uh, um, other use cases where we might implement internal apps that are going to be in the browser single page application or mobile apps where we will have to not use that flow but um, auth mostly authorization code flow with a uh, pixie that's the standard pixie stands for a uh, proof uh, let me uh, hopefully i don't <laughs> get it wrong i always get it wrong it's a proof of key um, uh, for code exchange, if I believe, let me, I'll look. I'll look for it. But um, basically, um, uh, I was looking to this. Yeah, proof key for code exchange. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that what it, that does that that ensures that is the client basically the the client app uh, the one going through the flying. You didn't your authorization code. Uh, hasn't been stolen for instance and uh, that's the mechanism I mean we're not going to get into the details of how that's implemented but uh, to summarize like we chose this because it gives you a ton of possibilities and you don't it's easy enough to do it now without like incurring in a ton of uh, uh, development work but also gives you the flexibility to adapt whatever scenarios you come by in the future integrate okay. um, with anything basically so that's yeah. great yeah. yeah interesting yeah let's maybe have a couple of more minutes about this and because it's a very interesting topic also also because last week i implemented a OAuth flow which was not an api flow but like the regular kind of flow right where um, people well they get to your app and then they are redirected to this app that where they put mm. their credentials and then they get back to your app. Yep. So like yep. a user facing flow, not just yep. pure API. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we talked about it briefly before, right? And one thing you also mentioned right now, authorization. And usually with like regular web apps, um, not thinking about OAuth, I usually have for myself um, the definition of authentication and authorization is, well, authentication is uh, put in your credentials yeah, and you are allowed in. Yeah, authentication is like you are who you say you are. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. 
And then authorizations for me, uh, this is what you're allowed to do. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But in the OAuth protocol, it seems like everyone is speaking about authorization. So the user, when they um, put in their password and email, they authorize you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but do they authenticate themselves and then authorize you, your client app, or did you get this sorted? Or yeah, how? yeah, yeah, exactly. I know there's a lot of confusion about that too. Uh, but the the thing is, uh, the authorization auth um, is uh, authorization and authentication flow also, but mainly authorization. Basically, you see it, you 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 see an authorization server and you uh, what you're doing is basically uh, for, uh, again i'm not an expert but f from what i understand is you you go to them and say okay i um want at the end of the day what you want is an access token to uh, access a resource uh resource service service a server uh, on behalf of a user right so you need authorization from that user or consent from that user to access uh, their stuff mm. basically their yeah. resources right on that resource server so that's where the authorization part uh, comes in like i or the set the user authorize this service or uh, this client mm. that's the client app um, to to use uh, the resource server resources or API yeah. on behalf of me mm -hmm. uh, but then when you get the, that access token uh, and you make a request to that API what you're doing is I'm authenticating against you the API with this access token right yeah and you so uh, yeah but it's, it's tricky yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So yeah, okay. So but that makes sense. So they okay, they authorize you uh, and then you get the tokens that you might store like the access token, the refresh token. And then you authenticate yourself against the API. Right. And you have you are authorized to use this in this resource that the user kind of Right. So once you once the user or and you have gone through the whole flow, the other day you get an access token, right? And and once you have that access token, that is sent uh, in every request you make. Yeah. And that since you already have gone through the flow, the 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 uh, the API uh, can validate that uh, basically you are all authorized to use their the API mm. so, yeah yeah okay cool okay. Yeah. nice um, one yeah the whole pixie thing and the thing that you mentioned that you are you guys are doing you, you said it's like a um, client authorization no, you yeah so uh, well the, I imagine it as like username and password I don't know Pixie Pixie basically what it does it adds it's an addition to the uh, authorization code flow yeah to to be secure in certain to, to secure certain scenarios uh -huh. so for instance um, I'm, I'm not uh, uh, I the, how it works basically it adds um, when you request an authorization code you have to send um, oh, let, let me let me start from 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 the start basically this is uh, to avoid someone um, basically s stealing uh, the authorization code and getting an access token uh, when they don't supposed to. Mm -hmm. Okay, so someone intercepting the author I, I believe, and maybe again, whoever yeah. is listening to this, but uh, this <laughs> is my understanding is that you get that you don't want that authorization code to be able to be exchanged by an access token yeah. without 
uh, being uh, like having permission to do that. So basically, what Pixie does is okay when I request the authorization code, I send you a code challenge. Okay, mm -hmm. that code um, um, uh, that uh, is very. The, the terminology is, I believe, it's code challenge. Um, uh, yeah, basically, it's code challenge. What what it is is a a hashed version of a code verifier. That code verifier is basically a string mm -hmm. that you hashed uh, with an algorithm, and uh, that code challenge is sent to a authorization server. That server stores that code challenge and knows the hash. Okay, then it gives you the authorization code. You get the authorization code. And then with that authorization code, then you are able to request the access token. To request that access token, you have to send the code verifier, mm -hmm. the non-hash version of the code challenge. You send that code verifier, and then the authorization server is able to see, okay, does the code challenge match with the hash version of the code verifier that I just have received? If they match, they know that is the original client app who is making the request. Mm. And then it releases the access token, otherwise it doesn't. And that's how it secures uh, some risky scenarios as a mobile, like uh, this, uh, like for basically for single page applications and mobile apps to, to not avoiding the scenario where someone steals the authorization code and yeah. uh, because there's in mobile apps there's um, it can happen that when you get the authorization code another app that is not the one that you started that uh, the flow with it's open and it can be a malicious app mm -hmm. and then it gets your code with the Pixie, that app that is being open w wouldn't be able to get the access token. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a. Sorry, it's it a, was a no, lot. It, it's it's fine. It's, uh, it was. I think it was a great explanation, but it's also hard to like. First of all, it's hard to implement. Then it's hard to imagine, and then it's also hard to reason about. Um, this is why we definitely should have a more practical episode sometimes to mm. visualize a couple of things, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think it can be more like overwhelming that what actually is when you understand the concept and, and you get into the implementation is not that hard. It's more about, I believe, about the concepts. Like mm. it's understanding what is happening so that you know what is going on when you implement it or what you should implement. Because for me, I think that's a, a most of the problem. At least is what I had in the, in yeah. the past. It's like, I didn't understand shit probably. So I, <laughs> it's like, okay, first understand the different things that are happening and then you know what to implement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in the beginning you mentioned uh, in this topic, um, the doorkeeper is the gem and what does it help with exactly? It's uh, OAuth to authorization provider a library gem, basically. What it does, it gives you the capability of using your app as an OAuth to authorization server. Mm. So, ah. yeah, that, that's what it does. Okay, yeah. so this is basically something like this is used by the other companies when you kind of redirect your users to someone's um, URL, login.github.com, so they yep. authorize your app. That's an authorization server. Okay, and so this is something that would be implemented with your keep Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, for example, for instance, you have services in the cloud, well, uh, Auth2, uh, sorry, Auth2, Auth0, right? That's mm -hmm. authorization server. A service that gives you all of this, like you would implement, you would put Doorkeeper in this for to service as uh, an authorization server. Yeah, it's just really yeah. yeah, very interesting, very interesting because yeah, most of the time, especially if you want to move quick and want just get it out and let people use it, you probably will go with uh, with an API token. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Also because 
because the, the, the people who want to integrate with you, isn't it a little bit more also thinking into it themselves? Uh, they need more, you know, I bumped into situations where we wanted to integrate with the platform and there, uh, and it was actually ITFFF. Mm -hmm. and there they have all of right and mm -hmm. we kind of didn't do it because of that so because we would need to do extra implementations and things uh -huh. like that because they wanted to follow an auth to flow with they you. want us to yeah to have an authorization server or no no, no they have uh, or auth oh, yeah ah got it and they are like Zapier right yep And Zapier is much simpler in that regard because you just, um, yeah, as an integrator, the users put in their uh, API key. Okay. And that's all. Okay. And yeah, and they wanted us to have the users somehow uh, authorized with OAuth, so this would need like extra changes, you know. Uh huh. Yeah, um, yeah. But we also, we would, yeah, we would authorize different users. And I, as I see it in your case, it's more like you are the OAuth provider and people authorize with you, but they have um, the same ability, so to say, across all users. No, that that's the thing. This provides you um, with a lot of possibilities in terms of who access what because uh, well we can the, the, with auth 2 you have scopes uh, you can define when you create uh, an application a client uh, application you define the scopes that that client application can access mm. those scopes there there's no specification on how those scopes should be defined and you're free to to do it as as you as you wish but there's usually um uh, some common guidelines right like how you want to name your scopes and basically you want uh, the the most straightforward scenarios where you map your resources to the scopes basically mm. you you can read write delete resources so that's what how you define your scopes mm -hmm. you you basically define read, write, delete scopes for your resources. And then when you create the app, you define what of those, which of those resource, uh, scopes can that app access. That's what, when you consent, when you go through an auth to flow and you give consent, mm. what is happening is that you're giving a consent to that, um, uh, to the client app to use the API With those scope, with the scopes that you give consent to, uh, yeah. that can be Google, uh, Google API, Google Maps API, I, or Google Calendar. I give them access to read my calendar and to uh, also uh, write my calendar, but not to delete any events on my calendar. For instance, yeah. right? Yeah. So with those scopes, you already have a layer of um, uh, authorization. Or, or yeah, uh, because you you define what can a client app can access. Mm -hmm. But then on top of that, when if you know who the resource owner is, and you know because you have that information, because at the end of the day, the day was well depends on the flow, but there was a resource owner on the other end, like you had a user right that started the whole flow. So that resource owner. Uh, If you um, you can also based on that user, you know what that user can access and what not. Like mm. it, it won't, that user wouldn't be able to uh, to see all like to have all bananas. Mm -hmm. It will only certain bananas, right? The, not the admin bananas, but the, the other mm -hmm. his bananas. So yeah. that's so both things, right? It's uh, yeah, you have many possibilities. Okay, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, maybe it's still something to think about. If yeah, what's simpler, right? Maybe the one thing is simpler than the other. I'm I'm not sure actually. Mm -hmm. What what is simpler for your 
target organizations who integrate with you, right? Uh-huh. What is easier, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if it's a um, service that is a M2M machine-to-machine service that is just going to sit there in a server without any user interaction, then it's it's quite easy because it only getting an access token is only a matter of making one request with the client ID and client secret, mm-hmm. and that gives them an access token. The advantage of that um, against uh, a regular API key, for instance, that I can think of is that if uh, if their token, if the token gets compromised and you just want to revoke it, you can revoke. Like you don't, they don't have you don't have to incur any overhead of managing with them anything or giving them another access key or. Uh, they just you just revoke it they, and they make another request they get another access token um, I mean you also could generate API keys but I, I don't know it's just all two gives you this scenario it fits for this scenario and also fits for other scenarios mm-hmm. so it's more like it's broader it's not that it's better than an API key it's just that it gives you more flexibility right? mm-hmm. I suppose yeah. cool Nice, nice. Yeah, it's a big topic, right? And it is. Yeah, a lot of people shy away from it. So we are the heroes of the day today <laughs> to have talked about it. True. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to do another episode, maybe with some examples at some point, um, and some visuals and maybe some code. Um, so yeah. That'll be amazing. All right. Let's keep in touch about this one and let's uh, yeah is that about it then are we done yeah <laughs> that, that, that was a great great first um yeah contribution yeah I thank suppose. you very much for for chiming in into the into the chronicles now you are a part of the chronicles oh amazing i love it <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you for having me it was great nice so yeah then have a good one and See you later. Okay, bye-bye.